we probably all in our lives know someone who is a good gift giver. Maybe yesterday you were the beneficiary of that. Somebody gave you a right gift, the right gift for the right time in your life. I confess I'm not a great gift giver. That's not, that's not one of my strengths. I don't think that's a gift of mine. But maybe you are, or at least you know someone who just tends to give the right gift. I think good gift givers, they, they think ahead about the person and the situation. And sometimes even they give a gift anticipating future circumstances. So she's about to move. What, what would be a good gift to give her as she moves to Boston. A Dunkin' Donuts gift card, snow shovel perhaps, a Red Sox hat. A good gift for the situation. Or a friend is starting a new job and the good gift giver thinks through what would be, what would be a good gift for the first day of work. Or someone's going away to, to start college, so a good gift giver thinks through what would be a good gift for the freshman year of college. It's a great blessing to have a good gift giver in your life. And today as we look through the scriptures, we consider who is certainly the greatest gift giver in the universe. And by considering that, we, we find a reason for hope and joy and praise in our lives because of this good gift giver. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms to Psalm 111. The Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 111, you'll find it in the Bibles near you on page 509. Page 509, Psalm 111. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible just so you can see the text in front of you. You can see just exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're new to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. We're in Psalm 111. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers, and I'll mention those as we work our way through the text today. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one today as a gift. At the back of the room, there's a table, just a stack of black Bibles there. Following the service, just grab one of those. Don't ask permission. We would love for you to take one today as our gift. So Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright, in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord. Studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him, he remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This morning as we look at this psalm, we see this central theme. Our Lord does great works, and we are wise to study, celebrate, and praise him for them. Our Lord does great works, and we are wise to study, celebrate, and praise him for them. We'll see our text in three parts today. 
First, we'll see the choice to praise. Second, we'll see the God we praise. And then third, the wisdom of praise. So first, we see the choice to praise in verse 1 and 2. The psalmist here begins in verse 1 with what our translation says, praise the Lord. In the original language, the Hebrew, this is the word hallelujah. So this is the English translation of that. So if you're ever among other Christians, you hear them use the word hallelujah, what they're saying is praise the Lord. So that's what the psalmist begins with, exclaiming praise to the Lord. And as he does so, he's simultaneously doing something else. He's calling on God's people to join him in this praise. So as we look at this psalm, we see an exhortation for us to praise, but also he shows us an example. He doesn't just tell us to do it, he shows us how. He says, here's exhibit A of how to go about praising the Lord. He urges the people to praise and then walks us through how we might do that. Now, what do we mean by this praise? I think Christians today often think of praising primarily as something we do when we sing. So we sing together, praising the Lord. And that certainly is a mode of praising. But it's by no means the only one. We also praise the Lord as we simply think about, meditate upon who he is and what he has done. We can praise the Lord by by writing down our praises to him. And we praise the Lord by speaking his praises to others, by, by telling to others what he has done. As we look at our text today, we want to see... But the psalmist here is making a choice of his will. He says in the text, I will do this. I will give thanks to the Lord. So he's making an intentional decision. And so friends, if we're to cultivate a life of praise, we will often have to choose to praise. A choice that's not based primarily on our circumstances, not even primarily on our feelings. There are some times when praise just will bubble up inside of you. The circumstances are so overwhelmingly good or surprising or positive that the natural thing to do is to praise, and, and that's a good gift. But we don't only want to praise when it just overflows out of us. But instead, the psalmist points us to a life of intentionally cultivating praise. We choose to praise because our God is worthy of praise. And we'll talk about more of that in a moment. Now, as we seek to do this, we want to be careful that we we don't limit to our praise to to only those times when we feel like praising. Because if I only praise on the, the high moments of life, I'll miss out on the goodness, the benefit of praising the Lord even in the storm, of praising the Lord even in the dark valley. Yes, we absolutely praise the Lord on those bright, sunny days of life. But it's also a grace and a source of growth and often a source of nourishment to intentionally choose to praise for what we can, even or especially in the moments of drought, times of darkness, in the deep valleys. So he teaches there, how to praise. And notice he says, the extent of our praise, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord, he says, with my whole heart. So he's choosing, he's working, he's fighting to praise with all of who he is. He he desires simply a sincere, wholehearted praise to God. So evidently, the psalmist is saying, we play a part in this. We're choosing, working to, as sincerely as possible, 
to praise our God. Now, what has been described so far can and, and should be done privately and personally. So we don't need anyone else around us in order to rightly, wholeheartedly praise the Lord. So this can be done in, in personal and a private way. It might be at a planned time in your day. You might set aside time to start the day. And as you start the day, you might praise the Lord personally. Or it might be at the end of the day. As you maybe you're laying in bed, about to go to sleep, you might recount your day and personally, privately praise the Lord. And that is a good thing. And then certainly it can be done spontaneously throughout the day. Let's say you have a, a difficult situation. You pray in anticipation of it. You face the situation, and it goes just so much better than you thought it would in the moment as you leave that meeting or you walk out of the situation. You might just spontaneously praise the Lord. That's a good and right thing as well. So this praise of the Lord can be done. It's helpfully done personally and privately. But it's not only to be done personally and privately, for there's a very important congregational aspect of this praise. For look at the end of verse 1, he says, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. So there's a corporate, a congregational element to this praise. So as followers of Jesus, we want to be a people who personally and privately praise and who praise along with the congregation, along with the people of God. So we do that now as a part of a local congregation. We, we gather on a weekly basis at times like this where we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord together. God has created, set aside a uniqueness to the praise of God's people with God's people. There's something that happens when we are gathered together in these moments that, that just can't happen to the same extent when I'm gathered alone. I sit alone at my desk. I can praise the Lord there. There's something more that happens here in our gatherings. So often in America, I think among American Christians, we tend to undervalue the importance of the gathering of God's people. And so we think to ourselves, well, I can read the scriptures on my own. I can sing to God on my own. I can praise the Lord on my own. And all of those things are absolutely true. We can do those things on our own. We should do those things on our own. But across the scriptures, both old and new, we see that, that the, the faith that God has given to us is created to be lived out in community. Across the New Testament, again and again, the picture is of God's people gathered together, doing something together that we cannot do by ourselves. So friend, if you're a Christian, you need a local church where you can join together in the praise of our God. For in this gathering together with others, we, we need others to encourage us in our praise. We're often helped by others modeling praise for us. Perhaps you're a newer Christian or just newer to church. Being around others and, and seeing how they praise in their words and in their singing can be very helpful. And then sometimes we need others to praise when we have no voice to praise. So when we sing like we do today. And sometimes based on the circumstances of life, you're so overwhelmed by the weightiness, the darkness of your day, that perhaps you can't voice words of praise, but that's when your brothers and sisters in the church sing for you. And there will be another day in the future when you sing for them. Friends, we need the local church together. Now, as we gather together, the uniqueness of our different experiences and different backgrounds also means that we, we don't impose our preference for praise on others. So maybe you're just a very exuberant person. 
that you love to just be boisterous in your words and in your singing, that's a great thing. But, but don't assume everyone else, if they really love Jesus, will do it just like you. Or perhaps you're, you're a very restrained person. Don't assume everyone should do it like you. And so together we all want to praise the Lord, but we can do it in a variety of ways. We simply want to be a people engaged in praising. So friend, I wonder if you think about your own life, are you regularly engaged in personal praise of God? That might be in a planned way. It might be in an unplanned way. Just thinking back about what God has been doing in your life and expressing praise to him. And are you a part of a local church where you can join together at times like this to join in the congregational praise of God? So the psalmist helps us in, in seeking to be intentional in our praise. He points us to, to what can fuel our praise. That leads a second to notice he points us to the God we praise in verses 2 through 9. Look down at verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. I don't know why this verse in particular has always just stuck out to me for, for years. It's an intriguing verse. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, all who delight in those works. So the psalmist acknowledges that the Lord's works, they are great. Then he says something very important. They are studied by all who delight in them. Those who ponder these works, who meditate on these works, delight in them. And we could say the reverse would also be true, that those who honestly study the works of the Lord will also in time delight in them. So we may delight and then study them. We may study them and then delight in them. There's wisdom in dwelling upon, treasuring the works of the Lord. Now, it's certainly true that God's works are great whether I acknowledge them or not. So whether I study them or not does not affect their greatness. I think a challenge for so many of us in our world today is that we tend to spend our days studying works, but not primarily the works of God. So we often spend our days hoping others will study our own works. We want people to notice our works, the things that we're doing. They want to, we want others to celebrate our name instead of pondering, meditating, celebrating the works of the Lord. But the psalmist calls us to a higher purpose, to a higher plane, to study the great works of God. In order to do this, we seek to understand God's works to the extent that we are able. We want to then think upon these works, to ponder them, to meditate on them, and we want to ultimately delight in them. So friend, if you're a Christian, it's worth asking, am I willing to delight in works that are not my works? Am I willing to treasure, celebrate the works of God? And must I understand everything about a work in order to celebrate it? Because there will be much that God does in our lives, in the world, in history, that we don't understand all of it. And sometimes we say, unless I understand every aspect of it, I will not trust it or celebrate it. But friends, we can study the works of God in history we can study the works of God in creation all around us. We can see and ponder God's work in our daily lives. Or maybe just think about your own workplace or campus. What would it look like for you to see and study the works of God there? 
For God's common grace is at work in the gifts of people all around you. So maybe you're, you're, you work in mathematics. And to think about the brilliance of God displayed in math. Or maybe you worked in advanced computer systems. And to think about the, the brilliance of people who created this and, and the creator behind the creation of that. Maybe you work in a laboratory studying the, the smallest of cells. And to see the beauty, the design, the magnitude of what's going on in such a small place. If we simply consider those that we work around, people around us, friends, neighbors, the diversity of humans, the gifts, the personalities. If you think about the birth of a child, if you've ever seen a, a child, the, the birth happen, if you hold a baby, and to think about the miracle of the birth of every single baby. If we think about nature all around us, the power and the size of the oceans, the, the magnitude of the mountains. Uh, Brennan and Brandy and I watched the movie the other night on this alpinist guy who climbs mountains. And aside from what I think is the foolishness of he climbs mountains with no rope, but aside from that, stunning beauty of mountains all around the world. I mean, the magnitude of these mountains, breathtaking. And we think about the creator over them. Think about the simple changing of seasons that we get to enjoy in New England. The rhythm of that. To the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. Friend, you ever stop to look, to consider the works of God? British pastor years ago, Charles Spurgeon, says it this way. There's something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. And how widening it is to think great thoughts about the greatness of our God. But maybe you're newer to church and you're not a Christian. And, and you might think that, honestly, this idea of God saying to people that we should praise him perhaps seems odd, maybe even inappropriate to you. I think if that's the case initially, I think very, it's a very common and reasonable response. C.S. Lewis, who initially was a skeptic who later became a Christian, he, he felt the same way. And here's what Lewis once wrote. When I first began to draw near to belief in God... And even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, and delightfulness. So these were some of Lewis's initial thoughts. But then he goes on. Later, his outlook had changed. Here's what Lewis, Lewis writes. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or fear of boring others is deliberately brought to check it. The world rings with praise lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, 
So they spontaneously urge us to join in, saying, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So the one being in the universe who rightly we would be called to praise in this way is God alone. And as we join in the glad praise of God, we actually come to this glad enjoyment of him. It is the right way to live. It's the very fuel of our soul and of our faith. So the psalmist calls us to praise God and then he shows us how to meditate on the works of God. As across this psalm, he recounts some of God's faithfulness. So we we praise, I already mentioned, for his creation. We also praise our God for his perfect everlasting righteousness. Look at verse 3. His righteousness endures forever. So God's work is displayed in his perfect righteousness. No one else is perfectly righteous, but God is Just, always just, right, perfect. We also praise our God because he is gracious and merciful. Look at verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Works here refers to God's saving work in history. And when we read the history of God relating to his people, we see again and again the rebellion of God's people. If you read across the Old Testament, we see this redundant picture, rebellion, wandering of God's people. And yet we also see this stunning response of God, mercy to rebels. More mercy to rebels. Faithfulness to the unfaithful. He's always gracious and merciful. We praise our God also because he is the great redeemer. We see this in verse 5 and 6. Now, the food here refers to the psalmist is drawing their attention back to the Exodus, where God delivered his people out of enslavement in Egypt. God set them free and brought them out. This was the great moment of salvation where God delivers them, and then out in the wilderness he provides to them bread day by day. As they wandered, God was faithful. And so the Acts refer here to the, to the Exodus, to the time wandering, eventually being brought into the promised land. So here God saved his people. He delivered them from a situation where they had no way of getting out. And he delivered them by the power of his hand. So the psalmist in that moment in history looks back to God's redeeming work. And now today, we have an even fuller picture of God's great redemption. For we look back to when all people, all of us, were slaves to sin with no way of delivering ourselves. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, came. The Redeemer, the Deliverer came. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but none of us lived. And then Jesus Christ went to the cross, the perfect Son of God, to die in the place of sinners like us, to purchase through his death and resurrection this great salvation, this deliverance, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, all of that held out as a free gift. So now, 
God has shown his great redeeming work in a way that we never could have imagined. God's gracious, faithful, merciful to his people. And if you're not a Christian, we would love for you to know more and more of this grace. This is what God is like. He rescues rebels. He provides free and full forgiveness to every person who will admit their need and turn to Christ by faith. We praise our God also because he faithfully instructs his people, verse 7 and 8, all his precepts are trustworthy. God has given us his scriptures sufficient for life in this world. We also see that we praise God because he has caused his works to be remembered. Verse 4, he has caused his works to be remembered. He consistently has modeled in his instruction to his people the importance of remembering and the danger of forgetfulness. We see for, for the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, God gave them yearly rhythms, festivals, so that they would remember this great salvation. So God had delivered them in the Exodus. So then every year after that, they celebrated the Passover. So they wouldn't forget how God had brought them out. They celebrated the Day of Atonement to remember their need of one who would come and atone for them. So this was something again and again because they are forgetful just like we are forgetful. God's people are always tempted to forgetfulness so God has given us the means to remember. So now we follow a similar pattern. So God has given to the church means of remembrance. And one of those is baptism. So we celebrate baptism individually for everyone who comes to faith in Christ. So they're baptized publicly, their public profession of faith, but it's also a way for every other Christian to remember. Remember your baptism. Remember where you were as a part of that. And then God has given us to us the, the meal, the Lord's Supper, that we regularly receive. And this meal, we remember Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. We remember Christ is returning. So these are the means now that we remember, we retell again and again and again the story of redemption. We are prone to forget. But friends, we're also reminded in the text there is good news that the one who we trust in, he will never forget. Verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. We're forgetful. God is not. He never forgets his covenant. He will never forget his promises. He never forgets his people. So friend, if you're a Christian, God will never forget you. He will never forsake you. That is the one we praise. And then third, we see the wisdom of praise in verse 9 and 10. At the end of verse 9 and verse 10 says, Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So as we study and delight in God and his works, we come to recognize how other God is, how different than us, how awesome he is, how holy he is, how set apart he is, how perfect he is. And when we begin to grasp how other he is from us, it leads us to what is called the fear of the Lord. 
When we rightly see who God is and who we are, there's what we call the fear of the Lord. But this, for the Christian, is not a fear that leads to cowering, but is, is a fear that leads to a uh, sort of reverence, a uh, respect, an awe that the God of the universe can be known. So a right view of God leads to this fear of the Lord, which is good and healthy and godly. And we see that there's true wisdom and understanding for the one who cultivates this fear. And then verse 10 concludes, his praise endures forever. And for we see across this psalm and across our lives that God has given to us grace upon grace. God is the perfect gift giver. And one of the gifts he's given to us is the opportunity to praise him. What we see in the text, it is an action that he calls us to do, but we want to see that, that actually what he's saying is that this is a right, healthy thing for you to engage in. That we will be healthier the more we praise. We will be sustained. We'll be able to persevere as we cultivate praise. It's the very fuel of health for the Christian. So the call to praise is not so much a task, but it's the one who created us saying, this is the very thing that you need. This rhythm will be for your good. So therefore, friend, it's valuable for us to consider, how can I fight my own forgetfulness? For all of us are prone to forget God's past mercy. We're prone to forget God's acts on our behalf. Or we're prone to forget what God has done in history, and we tend to only remember the areas where we feel like God is not coming through for us. So what would it look like for you to slow down and remember what God has done for you? Maybe this week, between now and New Year, you might just be able to grab a few moments to slow down and remember. Christians across the generations have often find helpfulness in journaling. That's not commanded in the scriptures. For some people, it's just a helpful practice. And maybe journaling can help us sometimes to remember. And probably because then we have a written record to look back on. Uh, I, I've not journaled across all seasons of time, but, but certain moments in my life, they've been very helpful. And I still have these old journals that I can pull out and remember in pivotal moments how God was at work in that. So maybe that's something you might want to cultivate. So friend, maybe just this week, think back over your life. Remember God's acts in your life. Maybe think back, how did you first hear the good news of Jesus Christ, if you can remember? If you're a Christian, who was it that shared with you that you might come to faith? For me, it was a neighbor. Her name was Barbara Miller. She shared the good news with me. I came to believe. Through that, my life was changed. Maybe remember God's patience with you when you've been wandering in the wilderness. When when you've been wandering from God's people, remember God's patience for you. Think back and remember God's providential hand, often in this winding, unseen way, working for your good. Across my own life, I can think back to pivotal moments, and and a lot of those were moments of pain that God was working for good. My freshman year of college began in a disastrous way. And yet God used that 
for good. A summer serving in a little bitty church in San Francisco that, that honestly, I don't know that there was any real fruit. Yet through it, God was changing the direction of my life. Through a connection and a friendship, our family ending up in Boston 20 years ago. The winding path of God's providence working for our good. But so often it takes some time to look back and watch God's hand in the past. And there we see God's goodness, God's faithfulness. So remember. And another way that we also are helped in our praising is to, to tell others. When we retell our story to others, it, it refreshes our faith and encourages theirs as well. So maybe this week with a family or a friend who's, who's a Christian, tell them some of your story and ask them some of theirs. As we hear of God's past faithfulness in the lives of others, we will be encouraged. Praise God for his faithfulness in their lives and praise God for his faithfulness in our church and in this region. 2003, as we gathered at this time, there were just a handful of people in the church. Over the years, God has been gracious to us. He's provided for us. He's sustained us. Across greater Boston, the last 20 years, through a variety of means, so many churches have been started. Still, the need is great. But in neighborhood after neighborhood, this month there's a gospel-proclaiming church. To hear of the work that's happening among the nations, among the Turks, among the Pashtun. God is at work. God is faithful. The good news is going forward, so let that stir our hearts to praise. And I was thinking about this psalm this week. As we read, we, we notice the psalmist talks about how God has worked in the past and how God is working in the moment. So friends, remember this. Your God has worked in the past. In the cross of Christ, your God has worked in the past in your own particular story. And your God is working today. Now, this week, in this season, your God who worked then is working now. And your God will work in the future in your life. Thanks be to God, he is not finished with us. None of us are yet what we hope to be. But by God's grace, we're not what we once were. God is making progress in us day by day. So friend, take heart. Your God is working today. He is working and he will be working in 2022. He will be gracious to you. He will be merciful to you. He will sustain us. He will keep us. So let's praise him for what he has done in the past, what he is doing, and what he will do. As a means of praise, in just a moment, we're going to lift our voices in singing praise to God. But I encourage you, maybe on the connection card, I'd love to praise God with you. So maybe you just want to write something on the back, something we could praise God together for. Or maybe there's some things that we could pray for you that you're still waiting for. They have not come yet. I'd love to pray with you for that. Maybe you're curious about Christianity or this is new to you. You can also note that on the card as well. Just a few moments we'll receive the offering. You can drop those cards in the basket. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning to study your works and delight in them. Lord, I pray for Christians who are wearied 
by deep valleys of struggle and very real suffering. I pray for some who've been wandering. Lord, help us to remember your past works, your great work of salvation in Christ. Help us to remember your faithful works in our lives individually, loving people who pointed us to you, how you preserved us in difficult circumstances, how you've brought us through dark valleys in the past. And from that, Father, would you cause overflowing praise in us. Lord, give us confidence as well as we face the uncertainty of a new year, that we could rest in what you have done in the past, what you are doing, that you will continue and you will keep us to the end. You're always faithful. You always remember your people and your promises and you will bring it to completion. So help us now today, Father, to praise you now in song. In Jesus' name, amen.